This is episode 33 of On the DOT, your go-to source for information about the Indiana Department of Transportation. Every month, we take you on a deep dive into the inner workings of the agency to answer your burning questions about roads, bridges, and everything in between. On this month's episode, we're joined by NDOT Chief of Staff, Chris Creighton. Chris is relatively new to the role, but has already been involved in a lot of high-profile projects in his time at NDOT. We talk legislative priorities for the agency, working alongside other agencies, electric vehicle infrastructure, working through challenges caused by the current economic climate, and much more. We hope you enjoy this month's episode of On the DOT. Welcome to On the DOT. I'm Jason Tiller, Communications Director for NDOT Southwest, and it is my distinct pleasure to be here today with our Chief of Staff. This is a big interview, so... uh, Thank you, Chris, for being on. Uh, I'll go ahead and let you introduce yourself to the general public and uh, tell them a little bit about what you do here at NDOT. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Um, appreciate you having me on, and um, you're welcome. I'm happy to have the opportunity. Um, so came to NDOT um, from the governor's office about almost a year and a half ago now, uh, June of last year, uh, to be chief of staff um, when Chris, Chris Kiefer left, a um, good friend of mine. I worked with him and the commissioner pretty closely in my legislative director role in the governor's office. Um, uh, Obviously, uh, infrastructure has been a pretty strong uh, component of of Governor Holcomb's agenda over the last five years, Um, so I was really excited about the opportunity to come over here and be chief of staff. Um, You know, people hear that term, chief of staff. Um, I think, you know, there is some sort of, uh, I won't say confusion, but um, you know, a lot of people don't understand exactly what I do on a day-to-day basis. I know I'd, I've tried to talk talk to my parents about it and explain, um, <laughs> but it gets gets a little complicated. Um, I think the biggest and and best way to to explain it is, you know, I, I have a lot to do with um, our external stakeholders, specifically uh, state legislators, local government officials around the state. Um, Andrea Zimmerman, our legislative director, uh, is on my team. Um, so she leads our lobbying effort with the General Assembly. Uh, and Kevin Sears is our intergovernmental affairs director uh, who uh, interacts with uh, local government officials on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so that's a big component of, of my job. Um, I also have the communications department, um, which we can get into a little bit more in more detail a little bit later. But uh, Linda McGranahan Roberson and Scott Manning, uh, also on my team, along with Natalie Garrett. Um, so uh, obviously responsible um, for communication, not only externally uh, within the agency, uh, for the agency, but also internally within the agency of trying to try to reach as many of our employees with key information as we can. Um, and then I'd say there's a different component to my job, and that's sort of um, I have to dabble in every sort of area uh, because of the relationship that I carry with the General Assembly and local go- local government officials. So I have to know a lot about our capital program. I know I need to know a lot about operations. I need to know and work with, um, you know, other executive staff team members uh, in their areas. Um, so, you know, Lindsey Quist and J.D. Brooks and uh, those folks, they, they we interact a lot um, to solve issues or to get information to people that need it. Yeah, it sounds like you got a lot on your plate. And I, I do want to kind of go back a little bit and talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the people that are there that work for you. And one of the things that you said that stuck out to me was that Andrea Zimmerman, uh, who is a past guest of this podcast, um, you know, she kind of heads our lobbying effort. Now, when you say lobbying, it's not necessarily like 
lobbyist in the traditional sense, right? Can you kind of explain that and unpack that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Andrea, every agency has uh, a legislative director um, that interacts with the General Assembly. Um, a big part of her job is, um, you know, getting answers to legislators, um, being a sort of a customer service component to um, elected officials in the General Assembly. Um, also trying to put the, our best foot forward with, um, with the General Assembly. Um, you know, we can't always do everything that um, uh, legislators want us to do. Uh, we, we definitely, the direction that I have, have given to Andrea and to others is, um, you know, whether it be customer service or local government affairs, um, you know, if someone asks us for something very specific um, and we can't necessarily do that, let's try to find a different way that we might be able to, to meet, the, meet the need of what they're asking us for. And, you know, where we can't even do that, I think we just need to politely tell them, like, we have, we've looked into several different options of how we can solve your issue. And we're, we regret to inform you that, you know, we, there's not much we can do here, but we'll keep, we'll keep at it and see if there is something that we can do in the future. Um, so Andrea and Kevin and others have taken that, um, our customer service team and those in the districts have taken that, I think, um, and, and really work towards um, trying to be customer service oriented and trying to find solutions, even if it's not um, the exact solution that was asked for. So Andrea, a big part of her job is doing that, but then also she has to represent the agency on bills that, you know, we might, um, we might be opposed to. So trying to, to point out issues and, uh, have legislators understand our point of view on, on bills that might be harmful to the agency and, and how we serve the public. Uh, and then finally, any bills that we support or have, you know, have been, you know, sort of approved to carry in the general assembly through the administration. Uh, her job is to navigate those, uh, pieces of legislation through the legislative process and try to get them to the governor's desk. So there's a lot of different components. I'd say a big part of that is sort of the customer service component, but also advocating for the agency uh, on different issues. And that's huge. Like people, I guess they don't realize that there are, you know, they see state government as one big conglomerate, I guess, is how the general public in general views us. Um, but a lot of people don't realize that there are multiple state agencies built up of with, with multiple different ideas and agendas and things that are important to them. Um, you mentioned uh, that one of the things that Andrea does, and I don't want to sit here and talk about Andrea the entire time necessarily, but, uh, um, you know, just in general, though, you know, we kind of try to keep... Uh, our legislators informed about, you know, what our agency priorities are, but also you, you mentioned, uh, that might, uh, bills that might be harmful to the agency. And I don't know if you were around for this one specifically, but just as an example, one of the things that uh, has happened in my time at NDOT, there was a load limit, um, bill in place, or at least a proposal that basically said that, uh, you know, freight crossing through the state would be able to have a heavier load on their vehicle uh, with about with the same amount of tires and wheels. And, uh, you know, in theory, that's a great idea. But, um, you know, we also have to think about height and damage to the roads because the heavier a load is, um, it's going to be a uh, it's going to be more detrimental to to the roadway, to the health of the roadway. Uh, it'll wear out quicker. It means more maintenance. It means more projects and things like that. So I wanted to kind of give an example of what uh, some, something that's happened in recent memory uh, that kind of illustrates um, a, a bill that would be harmful to the agency. Do you see a lot of stuff like that? Um, so 
had one legislative session here at the department so far. Um, we didn't encounter a, a ton of things that were, um, you know, quote unquote, uh, harmful to the agency. Um, for the most part, we do try to work together. At the agencies, kind of, we do talk. It's not like we're all in silos. I mean, everybody's kind of in this building or in a close proximity where we can at least talk to the other heads of the departments and let them know what we've got going on, right? Uh, absolutely. And I, I think one of the key sort of factors in how legislation gets developed is, you know, where legislators have an issue and it does not get resolved. So, I think that's why we have such a strong emphasis of trying to be customer service oriented and find solutions so that we don't have to come to the legislative process to solve issues. And I think we've done a, a pretty good job of that, not only uh, under Commissioner Smith, uh, but in previous years too. So that's always going to be a priority of ours. And I think that's why we don't see a ton of things that uh, are, are um, sort of a detriment to the agency. I also, I mean, would want to point out there are trade-offs in every policy decision. So, you know, we try to understand as a department that the legislate, legislature has certain priorities that they want to advocate uh, for their constituents on. And sometimes we just need to provide them with our perspective for, as an agency and policies, uh, policies are going to be set based on those trade-offs and we just need to uh, provide our, uh, our point of view to that. And Legislators aren't always going to side with us, but we'll do the best that we can to, uh, to to let them know how important different issues are to us. And I think that's a great point, and it kind of ties in with our customer service mentality as well. Um, you know, one of the things I, I'm sure you hear about it, I hear about it, uh, is our mowing policy. And we hear about it, and, you know, we our legislators are hearing about it from their constituents. And I know that, you know, uh, not getting into that specifically, but that's just an example— you know, a lot of times our legislators are under pressure from the general public to deliver something, but our policy or our opinion, you know, learned as it may be, may differ from that. And because of that, you know, it's like you said, we have to provide our perspective. Can you kind of tell me a little bit about, you know, that process and providing our perspective and what we what we would say in that situation to a legislator that's being hammered about something uh, that we are maybe have an opposite view on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what you have to do in that situation is just provide as much information as possible and be very transparent. Um, you know, whether it be that we have a contract with a vendor that is very specific of how many times they need to go out and do something each year, um, and asking them to do that would put X amount of cost. I'm just I'm coming up with a random example here, not not something I've in, I've encountered in my personal job, but like it would cost the agency X amount of dollars to go and do that. So again, sort of like policy has its trade-offs that, that also has its trade-offs. And we just have to try to try to make our best case, um, for why we can or why we can't do something and maybe what that alternative solution might be. Um, so we always, we always try to, to get to that point, um, where if we can't do what they want us to do, that they at least understand where we're coming from. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the customer service mentality of, of, it, of it all. We always want to try to explain the why, even if we have to say, well, no, we don't really like this solution, but here's, you know, because of this. And I think that's why it's such an important role for you to be in is maintaining that relationship with our legislators, because it's so much easier to discuss this with someone when you have a good relationship with them as opposed to when you might have a combative relationship. And let's not 
pretend. I mean, those, those things do exist, uh, you know, within government. People have different ideas. They have different opinions, different agendas. And so a lot of times people without relationships, you know, those can be more difficult discussions, right? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, when Commissioner Smith uh, came on board as commissioner, obviously he was uh, CFO before that, but when he came on, he started meeting with legislators um, pretty uh, aggressively because he wanted to establish those relationships. One particular legislator told him, you know, it, it's easy to come to me like when we haven't had that relationship already, um, but it's going to be more difficult to have that difficult conversation at that point. So let's let's talk. Let's continue to you know talk on the phone, meet, um, and so we're we're refreshing those contacts uh, for the for the legislative session. Um, obviously, did a quite a bit of work early this year, but we'll have a lot of priorities where. We want to come to that person not with a problem, but just to say, hey, I'm the commissioner, I'm the chief staff at NDOT, whoever it may be, um, you know, how can we help? What can we work together on um, so that we're not coming to them when they file a bill <clears throat> uh, next legislative session um, and us having a problem with it and not having that established relationship? So it is, it's a very important part of that uh, component. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, I want to take a break here shortly, but I wanted to also just kind of touch on this a little bit. You know, um, I won't say past administrations because it's not been in my recent memory, or at least since I've been at NDOT. You know, we've always had a um, a very customer service oriented relationship with our legislators, but that hasn't always necessarily been the case in the past, um, and that's not just with NDOT. And I think a lot of people underestimate the value of having good relationships with. Um, with our legislators, especially our agency, because we are one of the biggest agencies, if not the biggest. Um, and we touch every single Hoosier on a daily basis. So that's another reason why it's vital to have uh, all of those relationships in place where we can work together toward really making our infrastructure better. Yeah. Um, I, I think we've had a couple, well, I, I didn't know commissioners before, um, again, but the last two commissioners have had that approach of wanting to be um, customer service oriented and um, trying to have relationships that are productive, not only for us, but for the legislature as well, trying to make it a two-sided uh, benefit, um, you know, mutually beneficial. Um, and we're going to continue that, um, that approach um, throughout, you know, the time that Commissioner Smith is here and, and I'm here for sure. And um, we'll continue making an emphasis. All right. Excellent. Well, Chris, we're going to take our first break, but when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more, uh, something near and dear to my heart, you know, the communication side of uh, what you do here at NDOT. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of our external stuff that we've got going on, but also uh, some things we're doing within the agency to uh, really help communicate with our employees a little bit better. So stick around. We'll be right back with more on the DOT. Before 1989, NDOT was known as the Indiana Department of Highways, but highways became transportation, and our logo tells the story why. Only one of the four icons, the car, represents Indiana roadways. The airplane, the train, and the bus represent some of the other modes of transportation that our multimodal division helps manage. Along with the Federal Highway Administration, NDOT works with federal agencies for rail, aviation, freight, and transit. To learn more, visit us online at multimodal.ndot.in.gov. INDOT, we're more than just Hoosier Roads. INDOT recently launched a new app, INDOT TrafficWise. Our INDOT TrafficWise app makes it easier than ever to prepare for your travels. 
The app has features like road closures, construction information, traffic cameras, route planning, snowplow cameras, commercial vehicle information, hands-free alerts, and more. You can even sign up for a customized experience that allows you to save your favorite cameras, set up travel time notifications, and save your favorite routes for easy access to roadway information like construction and closures. Find us in the Apple App Store or in the Google Play Store by searching INDOT TrafficWise. That's I-N-D-O-T-T-R-A-F-F-I-C-W-I-S-E. This is Sergeant Todd Ringel with Indiana State Police. According to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, distracted driving claims thousands of lives every year. Many drivers use their cell phones while driving. That creates an enormous potential for fatalities and injuries on the roadways. Distracted driving is any activity that diverts your attention from driving, including talking or texting on your phone. You cannot drive safely unless the task of driving has your full attention. You can help us reduce crashes by putting down your cell phone, avoiding all other distractions, and just drive. Welcome back to On the DOT. Chris Creighton is my guest uh, this, I guess this afternoon, what I should say. We're recording in the afternoon, but uh, um, we've got a lot going on, and we mentioned that we're going to talk a little bit more about communications because that does fall under your umbrella. But one of the things you and I discussed during the break uh, was electric vehicles, and that's something that's on the minds of everyone here in Indiana because, I mean, we just passed the big uh, – we, we announced the infrastructure package that we're doing. We've got a lot going on in preparation for electric vehicles. And we did discuss that on a previous episode of the podcast, but I was hoping that you could dive a little bit into now that everything's kind of moved forward from that. Uh, you know, talk a little bit about the policy, particularly uh, that funding mechanism. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um Obviously, you were alluding to the, the the funding that was in the bipartisan infrastructure law or the federal infrastructure bill from last year. Um, a, a new concept, really, to, to state DOTs is um, being asked to help install um, charging stations. Um, so there was formula funding in that bill to allow us to do that. Um, so the last six or seven months has been uh, sort of an undertaking for the agency that we haven't done before. Scott Manning has led the effort for us. Uh, as deputy chief of staff, um, to formulate a plan to submit to the fed federal government for approval um, to put charging stations along what are called alternative fuel corridors um, within a mile of an inter- interchange or an intersection. Uh, so very specific sort of um, uh, tight program on on what we could and couldn't do. Um, so that sort of begs the question of like how fa- how fast is this going to change? Uh, EV adoption. Uh, I think that's yet to be seen, but obviously one of the big factors in uh, EV adoption is how comfortable people feel in taking long trips with them um, and having these charging stations along the interstate corridors um, in Indiana and other and otherwise um, is is probably going to make it more likely that people are willing to to do that. And what you alluded to earlier is how that as EV adoption uh, happens uh, more rapidly, how does that change the formula funding uh, for the agency? Um, right now, I think everybody kind of knows that we're heavily reliant on the gas tax um, to fund uh, construction projects, not only for the department, but for our local entities here in the state of Indiana, whether it be through community crossings or uh, or other funding uh, that, that gets passed along to them. Um, right now, there is not um, sort of a usage fee uh, 
that comes along with an electric vehicle. Um, they, the legislature, uh, thankfully, uh, very forward thinking back in 2017 when they passed the infrastructure package at the state level, um, put a fee on electric vehicles and hybrid vehicles to sort of uh, assess a, use, a usage fee, but it, does, it doesn't track with how much those, those individuals uh, drive their vehicles. Um, all that funding currently goes to community crossings. So a local program, local matching grant program that I think people know pretty well, um, it all goes to that local uh, grant program. So in terms of EVs and hybrids, there's very little funding that, that comes to the agency uh, and goes into that formula funding um, that gets distributed to locals. Um, it all goes to that one sort of pot of money. So in the long term, that is something that you know we'll have to continue the inform, to inform um, the legislature about. Um, they're very keenly aware of the challenges that the agency faces. Not so much in the immediate term. We're pretty healthy financially uh, in the in the immediate term, but as we get into that medium and long term, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, if EV adoption uh, continues as it is, as it is, uh, sorry, as it is expected to, um, that will become an issue that needs to be addressed. Um, so variety of options on how you do that. Um, obviously there's political, uh, implications in, in that assessment. Uh, so we'll provide the legislature with as much information as possible to have them, uh, make the right decisions, obviously in coordination with the administration. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I don't think people realize, uh, how big of an undertaking building the EV infrastructure is. Um, you know, we, we live in a world where we've most of us have had gas stations on the corners everywhere. You know, it's never been an issue to get gas in a gas-powered vehicle for most of us. But we're talking about building brand new. So, so imagine, uh, and I always use this example, switching from horse and buggy to gas-powered engines, you know, that same process with electric vehicles is going to have to start now. And I think that's, uh, you hit the nail on the head when you talked about, you know, we're relying on that gas tax. And then, so what happens once, once we get there? Uh, so I guess it's a twofold, uh, question or topic to discuss. Um, once we get there, what do we do? Like, how do we, when people are using less gas, um, how do we start getting, or how do we continue the amount of funding, especially with you know inflation and prices going to continue to rise? I mean, I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination to say you know in fifteen to twenty years we may be paying you know twenty to thirty percent more for infrastructure builds than we do right now. Would you say that's probably accurate? Um, yeah, I mean inflation. Um, I think we're, we're seeing extreme examples of it right now. Um, you know, over the last two years, I, our assessment is that we're basically paying somewhere between 25 and 35% more for projects than we were before, depending on what that type of project is. Um, but certainly over a span of decades, inflation will, will continue. Uh, it's hard to predict, you know, especially in this sort of the more extreme scenarios that we've seen recently, you know, do, do prices dip back down a little bit? Um, I think it's, that usually does not happen, but the environment has been such that 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 might be possible. But certainly, over a span of decades, you're gonna you're gonna encounter uh, inflation um, at a pretty uh, pretty regular rate, and it will it will add up to significant uh, amounts of money. Um, right now, that's sort of accounted for through the gas tax. Um, so we'll just have to do an assessment continually of how do we continue to pay for what we need 
Uh, and that was one of the beauty, uh, one of the beautiful things about how the legislature, the administration, the department um, went about the last round of road funding uh, conversations is it was what do we you know, need to take care of and what do we need to build for the future um, and how do we finish what we start? And then exactly how, working backwards from there, how do you pay for that? And, you know, and how, how, you know, how much are, are people willing to pay for that? Um, and I think the way that they were able to distill it, um, we'll have to do that again uh, at some point. Uh, but again, we're in, we're in pretty healthy shape as an agency currently. But with the electric vehicle conversation ongoing, um, that's just something that's sort of looming um, that we'll have to address. Yep, absolutely. So, so let's get into a little bit more specific about, uh, you know, we talked about formula funding. Um, we've talked about the implications of those. But so I guess from my perspective, you mentioned the, the alternative fuels corridor. So we're not going to have, you know, starting out a charging station on every single corner, right? Uh, no, the federal program, uh, again, I, I think I mentioned earlier, is very specific. Um, and how, how and where these are to be installed. Um, they want, you know, the goal is to address the, the concept of quote-unquote range anxiety. Um, I talked about it a little bit earlier, but electric vehicles are typically used um, as, you know, in, in the passenger vehicle realm uh, for short distances. And what we've seen so far is that individuals don't feel too comfortable, you know, taking a long distance trip, whether it be like a family trip from Indiana to Florida or, um, you know, driving from Indiana to Pennsylvania in an electric vehicle because it's hard to come by these stations. So the federal government has said, okay, here's how we're going to address that. Each state is going to get um, an allotment of money. Um, They will designate these alternative fuel corridors. In Indiana, we have designated all of our interstate system plus U.S. 31 um, we've ha- uh, had a recommendation to also um, put US 30 forward, and we will do that at, at some point in time when the next round um, is open. And let's make sure that these charging stations are no more than 50 miles apart. Um, and so they're they're also DC fast chargers. So the goal is not only that there won't be a long distance between the charging stations, but that also when you get to that charging station, there are four ports available at least. And um, you'll be able to charge your vehicle in a, in a shorter amount of time. It won't be a, you know, a, a two, three, four hour stay. It'll be more in the range of you know, 40, 45 minutes, uh, depending on, uh, on, the, on the station. So the program itself helps to address that range anxiety uh, issue. And I, I, again, I, I think we talked about it earlier, but um, that is one factor in how, how much EV adoption is going to pick up is how comfortable people feeling uh, about driving that long distance. Yeah, I think that's really important to address for uh, for most people because right now, I mean, without there being so much infrastructure, without there being the infrastructure that we have for gas-powered engines, I think that's a real concern. Um, so I want to kind of wrap up this conversation, put a pretty bow on it. Um, is there anything that the general public uh, should know about where we're at right now and where we're moving uh, with EV stru- infrastructure um, here in the next uh, five to 10 years or so? Is there something that you feel is very important for the public to know about that? Yeah, I think you're going to start to see these charging stations uh, pop up. Um, you know, we, we were approved by the federal government just a few weeks ago um, 
for our plan for dispersing this money and putting these charging stations in the ground. So I would say first and foremost, you'll, you'll see this happening. Um, you know, we worked uh, hand in hand with other agencies like the office of energy development, the Indiana utility regulatory commission, um, the Indiana economic development corporation and the governor's office uh, to make sure that we had a holistic plan. You know, it, it wasn't just a department of transportation perspective on this. It was, multi-agency um, so that we can get these different um, perspectives on, you know, is the grid uh, prepared for this in this particular area? Uh, do we have available power um, that is satisfactory to run the charging station? So just know that our, our plan um, that we put together um, tries to address all those, all those issues that, um, that be, could, could present, you know, hurdles to adoption and, and to uh, successful charging stations. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that we, we decided early on in most departments of transportation also decided this is it's not a core competency of the agency to run and operate and own and maintain these charging stations. So our approach, along with most other departments of transportation, um, has been that we will contract with partners to not only install the charging stations, but to run them in the long term. And some of the funding from the federal, uh, federal bill allows for them to, um, you know, get some of that money for operating and operation and maintenance over the first five years of the program. And the main reason that the, you know, the, the policy decision by the federal government, by, by Congress was that if we were going to have widespread adoption, uh, and that's what they wanted, Congress wanted is more widespread adoption of electric vehicles. Um, you're going to have to put some skin in the game because, the market hadn't caught up to this concept yet. And, um, you know, these charging stations won't necessarily be huge money makers in the, in the, on the front end. So the, you know, Congress made a policy decision to sort of quote unquote subsidize the operation of these. Yeah. And it makes sense. Uh, you know, we have to get there because I mean, it's coming with the Biden administration, uh, requiring vehicles to be full electric. Uh, what was it by 37 or was it 40? I can't remember. Yeah. And it, a lot of the, not only that, but, um, a lot of the manufacturers have said, we're going to be fully electric by 2035. A lot of the dates are like 2035, 2040. Uh, I think maybe even 2030 is some of the earliest, uh, the manufacturers will go hundred percent EV. Yep. And not only EV, but we also got to remember cars are getting smarter too. Um, you know, we think about uh, things like connected and autonomous vehicles. We've got so much going on that's changing within the way that people are driving their vehicles. There's a lot to keep up with, a lot of, a lot of policy issues to keep up with. And that's, uh, that's in a nutshell, Chris Creighton's job, right? <laughs> uh, it's, it's my job. It's, um, it's our whole team's job. Um, but also, you know, one person that I hadn't mentioned yet, um, is Daniel Juden who reports, reports to Scott Manning here. Um, you know, she, she's not like sort of the engineering transportation expert, but we established her position as, um, to be sort of an outreach, um, uh, position with private enterprise and business. Um, to try and keep up with those trends, uh, but also be a point of contact with the agency where she can be a conduit to connect with uh, our engineering department or connect with our uh, construction department and operations department so that we can make sure, you know, the, the one thing that we have to do is um, make sure that our transportation infrastructure is compatible with emerging trends. So we, we won't know a lot of that stuff 
that that people are working on that organizations are working on unless we're having those conversations so that's another sort of facet of our uh, our organization uh, we won't always be able to keep up with them if we're not talking talking to people uh, directly yeah that's an excellent point and it kind of dovetails very nicely into our next topic so uh, we'll kind of stop uh, we'll, we'll leave electric vehicles and all of our infrastructure stuff alone and I want to kind of talk a little bit uh, in the last few minutes of the podcast here about uh, communications which also again is near and dear to my heart and falls under your banner um, we've got a lot going on right now and you know with the EV stuff with the amount of information and the policy decisions and things that are being made uh, you know here and and elsewhere it's vital that we have a system to communicate that to the public and tell them what we're doing I mean, this podcast is part of that uh, overall grand scheme of making sure people know what we're doing and complete transparency. Can you talk a little bit about some of the big things that we have going on uh, from an external and internal communication standpoint? Yeah, I think I would start, I mean, right there um, to begin with. Um, we've recently moved to sort of a new a new structure in certain ways. Um, haven't changed a ton of what we were doing, um, but I think we've um, changed the emphasis uh, for particular individuals. So um, Linda McGranahan Robertson, who is on my team, a couple, it's probably been over a month now, um, we announced that she, her focus will be internal communications um, because as a 3,500 person agency, um, we obviously have a pretty diverse workforce in how they, um, you know, get their information and consume their information. so we're making a very intentional effort to reach people uh, in different ways that work better for them. Um, and the way that I have explained this uh, to other individuals that have asked me uh, is we need to put a bunch of different options together uh, for folks to choose from uh, to put information in front of them. And, uh, you know, Jason, I'm sure you, you know it very well, uh, being in the district, we have folks that don't have a state-issued computer uh, folks that don't have a state issued cell phone. So one of the things we that have people that don't have a personal cell phone, let's just be honest. Yeah. yeah uh, you know, there's the different, you know, different lifestyles and, and, and different priorities uh, for these individuals and just how, you know, reaching each team member is very important to us. So one of the things that Linda and I have been uh, putting an emphasis on lately is creating you know, better ways of communication, whether that be improving the ways that we already do it, because email is always going to be a, one of the main functions of how we communicate. Um, that won't that won't change. But how do we create these other menu options? And so we've moved to a, a, text, a text messaging uh, service. So um, we're looking to uh, text not only state issue cell phones, but any one of our team members that wants to sign up for a text message program, um, they can do so. Um, and we have a link on Aaron um, that allows you to do that because we want to try and reach you uh, where you're at. Um, so not only just improving the things that we're already doing, but trying to find new and different ways uh, to better communicate with different pockets of the agency. And then, you know, the, a similar part of that structure um, change uh, improvement uh, is that Scott Manning, our deputy chief of staff, is over our external communications department. Um, and that's the first time that we've sort of had these two different um that I know of at least, uh, that we have these two different emphases. And I think it's allowing us to, um, you know, more strongly emphasize, um, d- just how we go about reaching not only the people here in the agency, but, 
uh, the folks that want to hear about our projects and what we have going on at the agency. And I'll give you an example of that, Chris. We've not got much time, maybe two or three minutes left here. But, um, you know, before you came on, before we made these changes to the external component of it and the internal component and kind of separated those, um, you know, myself, this is Jason Tiller's personal experience here. You know, my job was to do both internal and external communications for our district. So 17 counties. And one of the things, uh, you know, also, well, and also I should probably mention I was also handling our legal uh, cases. I was handling all of our legislative cases. I was handling, I had about five different things I was juggling and I really didn't have time to do all of them all at once, at least not with any level of, uh, you know, I couldn't get in the weeds on it a lot. And so that's one of the things that has changed now. Uh, you know, in our district, we've hired Gary Bryan, who is our, uh, public relations director, uh, who works, uh, under, uh, Natalie, uh, Garrett, who has also been a guest on this podcast, mm-hmm. and uh, and Scott Manning as well. And so the nice thing I've noticed in the few months that Gary has been with us has been that we have been able to more effectively work our social media. Um, you know, whereas I was concerned about different things and had different priorities, you know, social media posting wasn't necessarily always a priority for me. It is for Gary. It's something he's able to focus on and give attention to. And now I've been also given more time freed up to work with our legislators and reach out to them and say, hey, what do you need from us? Um, And so, I mean, really, truthfully, it's been a really great change from the external standpoint because now everything seems to be getting the attention it deserves. And I think that was the intent behind what uh, the changes were. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that because that's the experience that we've had here in in central office. But obviously, it's a a big part in the districts as well. I think a lot of us, myself, I, I use this term a lot. You can't be all things to all people all the time. Um, and, and so allowing that focus to kind of zone in on what is really important in my job and what do I need to deliver for the agency allows you to be not only um, uh, more focused but more creative. You have more time to sort of really be intentional and think about what you're going to do uh, to carry out your job. Um, so I'm glad to hear that it's working out well. And I, I think another thing that we've kind of run into is that in the districts, you know, your position and the PRD have worked really well together. Um, so it, it, it's a partnership there. Um, and, and that's something that we, we want to continue to emphasize is sort of those internal partnerships. And, um, I think Natalie, um, has done a very nice job of, uh, leading the public relations directors in the district and also, you know, representing central office. Um, and it helps that she comes from a district and has that perspective too. Um, so I'm glad to hear you say that, um, that I think it's, that you think it's working. So, uh, uh, we'll continue to try and improve upon the changes that we've made. Um, because that's one big thing that the commissioner is always talking about is continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's continue to move that ball forward. Uh, we won't ever be perfect, but we can always be a little bit better. Um, so we'll, we'll continue to do that on my team. And I know that the rest of the agency will do so as well. Absolutely. And with that, I think that's a great way to end this episode. Continuous improvement, and we're going to continue to continuously improve. (laughs) So, uh, Chris, thank you for being on with us today. And uh, if you want to hear more of our old podcasts or anything, you can go back on our feed on Apple or Google or wherever you get your podcasts, and you can check out our older episodes that we've mentioned here today, um, particularly the ones with Andrea, the ones with uh, different people, uh, our EV vehicle, or excuse me, our EV episode is up and still live. Um, You can also check those out on YouTube. Uh, Chris, thank you for being with us today. And uh, we hope to uh, 
Hope you continued success. Wish you continued success, I should say. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's really enjoyable to talk about these different issues with, with you and um, just appreciate the time. Somebody needs to report that pothole. Why aren't they mowing the grass in the median? When are they going to fix this road? You know there's an easy way to get the answers to those questions and report the problems you see on interstates, U.S. routes, and state roads. Dial 1-855-IN.4U to talk to a live customer service professional. That's 855-463-6848. Hate talking on the phone or have a fear of human interaction? We've got you covered. Go online to in.4u.com to use our Report a Concern tool. You can also report a concern through our in.mobile Mobile app for iPhone and Android. If you've got questions, we've got answers at 855-IN.4U or online at in.4u.com. This has been On the DOT, a production of the Indiana Department of Transportation. For more information, please visit our website at indot.in.gov. For the latest updates on road conditions or construction, you can download our Indot mobile app for Apple and Android devices. Submit your roadway concerns by calling 1-855-INDOT4U or online at indot4u.com. Find all of that information in the description of this episode. Full episodes of On the DOT are available on YouTube by searching for NDOT. You can also follow NDOT and all six of our districts on Facebook and Twitter. If you like what you're hearing, please be sure to leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. Join us again every third Thursday for new episodes of On the DOT. Until then, travel safely and thank you for joining us on On the DOT.